want you to pray with me here. Father God, thank you once again for the privilege of this morning. It's filled with promise, filled with purpose, and the degree to which we experience that is the degree to which we are willing uh, to, to uh, open our hearts and our minds to your Holy Spirit and to your Word. Um, may this morning be a, continue to be a time of encouragement, of challenge, of, of wonder, of mystery, of joy, as we now enter into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It is the season of family vacations, and so it wouldn't be, uh, you know, I'd have to share one of ours, right? So a few years ago, um, Mandy and I, we went to um, one of those big falls, what are they called? They're not, oh, the Niagara Falls, there's a little thing there in New York, and there's a great picture, look at that, huh? You're supposed to go, oh, how sweet, Yes. And uh, we had a blast. We had a lot of fun. And we were walking around the park and seeing different things. And we came across this cement kind of monument thing. And uh, uh, there was this plaque on it. And there was this, a little, you know, about this long of this huge cable that was coming out of this cement thing. And I was like, what in the world is that? So I went up there and I started reading it. And it says, hey, this was one of the endpoints for... Uh, the wire that one of the Walendas walked across the Niagara Falls. You remember that story where he'd get on that tight wire and he'd go across? And I was like, whoa, no, thank you. No, I don't want to do that. And I was reminded as I was reading this story this week in chapter 5 about another tightrope walker over Niagara Falls way back in the day, a guy named Blondin. And he was very famous, and he, he just loved doing this kind of crazy stuff. And, and so one day, he's, he's going back and forth over Niagara Falls, and he's walking, and then he grabs a wheelbarrow, and he goes across the, on that wire all over across to on, you know, the other side, and then he gets to the other side, and he, he puts a whole bunch of bricks inside, and he's going to go do it again, back over again, over Niagara Falls. And now I had seen it, I thought, this guy's lost his mind, right? And he gets all the way across, and of course the, the crowd, ah, Blondin, you're the greatest, man, you're awesome, da-da-da-da-da. And then he says to the crowd after they shush, how many of you believe that I could take a person and put them in a wheelbarrow and take them across this line over Niagara Falls? the best blonde you can do oh they're cheering 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 he goes okay i need a volunteer <laughs> crickets nobody nobody was gonna vol- he ended up throwing his manager in there and taking him across oh that's what you get right pick who you're gonna manage for very carefully a little side note But this reality of all of these people shouting, I believe, I believe, I believe, you can do it. Yes, yes, yes. But when it came time to put it into action, no, no, I'm not not getting in that wheelbarrow. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. And what we see 
repeatedly in Scripture is this call upon people who are claiming to be a Jesus follower. I love God. I love Jesus. This call between what one says and then what one does. And, and there is to be a consistency, and it's called integrity. And too often in our lives, there are all kinds of bold I believe statements and, and then very little substance on the backside. A little honest moment, we'll be able to see some of those in our own lives. And our story brought us to just such a moment in the life of Esther, the queen a Jewish queen over the Medo-Persian Empire who was run by King Xerxes. And at the end of chapter 4, she was challenged by her adopted father to step up and to do whatever she could to save her people. And she makes this great, grandiose comment that we've seen all over different things and, you know, posted again and again and again and on posters. If I die, I die. I'll go before the king even though it is a life-threatening proposition because if he doesn't raise his scepter to greet me uninvited, I'll be taken out and never seen from again. If I die, I die. And then we stop there at chapter 4. And we're in that place now where we are wondering, does she, really, does she really believe that it is more important for her to do what she can to save her people than it is for her to live? That's the question in view. If we listen to her, word, her words, if I die, I die, we would say absolutely. But do we know that yet? Do we know? that she really believes that it is more important for her to do what she must than it is for her to take her next breath. We don't know that yet. And so many times in our life, we don't know what we really believe until our faith intersects life in a way where that which is on the inside gets squeezed out and we see it. As we come to chapter 5 today, we discover that this moment of truth arrives for Queen Esther. She had asked Mordecai, her adopted father, and all the Jews in the city and her own people or the own ladies with her in the palace, all fasting. But on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and she entered the inner court of the palace, what she said she believed, and what she did were the same, a person of integrity. She went in just across from the king's hall, and the king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. It is now the moment of truth. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the court, he welcomed her, and he held out the gold scepter to her, so she approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? 
What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Esther replied, if it please the king, let the king and Haman. Haman is the one who has schemed to create this decree to kill all of his people. Oddly, she says, and Haman, come today to a banquet that I have prepared for the king. And the king turned to his attendants and said, tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. While they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, now tell me what you really want. Don't break into song right there, what you really, really, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Stop it. Resist it. Resist it. All right. Tell me is what you really, what is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. And Esther replied, this is my request and deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king, if it pleases the king to grant my request and, and do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet I'll prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. Well, Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. However, he restrained himself and went on home. Then Haman gathered together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, and boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. He bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had promoted, uh, he'd been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. And then Haman added, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us, and she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Then he added, but this is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, just sitting there at the palace gate. So Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all of his friends suggested, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall and in the morning ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. Oh, this pleased Haman. And he ordered the pole to be set up. Pause. A lot of things going on here. A lot of things we need to uh, uh, t take into consideration. Uh, we find here as Esther makes this claim in verse 16 of chapter 4, I will go see the king. If I must die, I must die. She does go in. She enters the court. She backs her words up because you see true belief and true conviction is revealed not by our words, but by our actions. Not the, not the sounds that come out of our mouth bear witness to our true passion, our true convictions, our true love, our true heart. No, what's deep inside there gets squeezed when life intersects with faith. And when Esther's life was on the line, her true belief came out that she must do what she must do, even if it costs her her life. It's more important to make an attempt to save her people than to sit idly by. More important to do that than, than to even live. I don't need to live, but I do need to be obedient. I wonder 
what happens in our lives these days when life intersects with our faith and we are squeezed. What, uh, what comes out? What is it? Uh, the, the, I, I can say a whole lot of things. I love God. I love Jesus. I love his word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey what God says. And I want to follow Jesus, you know. And I'm going to do this. And I'm, I want to do that. And this is who I am. And this is what I'm all about. Da-da-da-da-da. And then we say, okay, awesome. But what does your life say? What's the testimony of your attitudes towards others? What's the testimony of your love for your spouse? What's the testimony of your commitment to raise your kids in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? What's the testimony of of God's commands to speak to our world morally, financially, emotionally, relationally? Is there an accurate reflection back of the word of God into my life? Or is there a disconnect? A disconnect. Here in the life of Esther, we're challenged. We're challenged. And we're also encouraged, by the way. I hope you picked up on it. When she went to this little earthly king, she had to hope that a scepter would go out to receive her. Oh, but listen. When Jesus is invited into our lives, he throws open the doors of heaven into the presence of the king of kings. Don't, no worry there with Christ making us suitable to be in the presence of God. No worry there about a scepter. He says, come boldly, come boldly into my presence. We're invited, we're welcomed, we're expected. And it is in that coming boldly into the presence of God there in fellowship with him where that character of Jesus begins and is continued to be shaped and formed in me and you and we become more like Christ because the throne room of heaven has been thrown open those doors are open no scepters needed no scepter needed in the presence of the king of kings capital K and we come to this next part of this story three through eight and we we find ourselves scratching our heads a little bit her stated goal is to intercede for the for the for the people of israel who are under a an edict of destruction and yet when asked by the king hey what's your request i'll give it to you even if it is half the kingdom her reply is um, what do you say we have dinner? And we're going, hey, wait a minute. What's happening? Let's back up. Let's go back about three days. When Esther invited both Mordecai and the Jews in the city and all of her maids and maidens, hey, um, could, could you all please fast? Take time. Take time to consider to prepare for what is about to come. What was happening in that time of preparation was extremely significant, and it's very telling for us in our lives. 
in those moments of fasting, this, this particular plan that we're seeing unfold, we don't know it all just yet, but it's beginning to unfold this picture, this plan to get to the place of the right result had to be the right plan, and it was in the moment of teaching, in the moment of waiting, in the moment of being in the presence of God and fasting, and there she was getting this picture of step and step and step, and this is, and all of it was coming because she made a decision to take a pause, to step back, to seek the heart and the will of God. And in so doing, she was given the right path to walk to get to the right place. You see, in life, if we're paying attention, oftentimes we find ourselves landing here and here, and we, we say to ourselves, I don't want to be here. I don't like here. This here isn't good. And we forget to understand the reality that we don't just get here. We have walked a journey, a path to get here. And it's, it, it, it could be a really long journey. It could be a, a pretty short one, a hard left somewhere along the line. But here we are in a place we don't want to be. And we say, I don't want to be here. And we try to, try to change where we are. And yet we are forgetting the reality. You didn't just get there. You walked there. And in order to arrive at a different place, you have to walk a different path. In order to get where we want to be, where our hearts are drawn, where the Lord is leading us, where he paints this beautiful picture of the kind of life he wants us to have, there is a path that must be walked. Let me ask you, anybody here, you don't have to raise your hands. Are you in a place you really don't want to be? And it's a great opportunity to stop and do what she did. Take a few steps back, pause. Prayer, fasting, awesome. To listen, to listen, to learn, to hear, to get direction for that path that takes you to a very different place. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life to the fullest. I want to lead you on the path that take you to the place that I created you to go. But you're not going to find them in the noise of this world. You're not going to find them as you manufacture your own paths to walk. You're just going to keep on walking. You're going to keep running into places you don't want to go. And then you just got to keep going and going and going. It's this mad, madhouse kind of life journey that isn't really going where you want it to go. But God has invited us into a much different picture. She lets us, she lets us see this great example. And of course, we see it all over in Scripture as well. Stop and seek. Take time to be directed to the right path so that you get to the right places. We see in verse 4 something very interesting. She said, if it please the king, come today to a banquet I have prepared for you. And we say, whoa, time out. A banquet she's already prepared. What's the deal there? I thought just like mm, minutes earlier, her life was on the line. There's a 50-50 chance she's going to die. But she already went ahead and made a dinner and got ready? What's that all about? It's about faith. 
It's about moving in consistency with the plan that God has impressed on her heart, knowing full well that if God doesn't show up, this thing is over. And yet she still acted. She still moved. And she got to experience God in a powerful way. Oh, God's going to bring us to these places and points in our life where we are going to be, you know, he's going to be saying, hey, take that next step. And we're looking around going, hey, well, wait a minute, God. There, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't get that. I, I, don't, I don't have what I need to do that. I haven't got that figured out yet. I, I got this. I can't. Not, and, 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 and all the while he's saying, well, uh, I want you to trust me. Step out. Step out. Instead, we're tempted to live very self-managed lives, aren't we? I can figure this out. I got this. I know where that can come from. I'll take that, and I got that. But any time we're pushed in life to come to this place where you're going to trust God, and he's going to come through, or you're going to go right on your face. Sometimes we say pass, and we go the other direction. And we say, sorry, Lord, I'm not getting in the wheelbarrow. That's for others, not me. And so others get the rush, the exhilaration, the wonder of a sight that you can't see unless you get in the wheelbarrow. The sound and the sights that remain distant from the eye who says no. You see, no and Lord never belong together in the same sentence. It's yes, Lord. We're going to be invited into these crisis moments of faith, and she was all in. I mean, all in, just like she said. She had the banquet already. King, come, I got a banquet ready for you. And off they went, and then the king, verse 6, he, this is the second time, he says, now tell me what you really want. What is the request? I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. This hyperbolic, this overstatement of, oh, I'll give you all this, you know. And it's just kind of this king, you know. And, and what was happening is he was getting brought in. Can you feel it? He was, he was just, it was just happening to him. And he's, he's not stupid. He's thinking, he, he knows right away, there's no way that my queen risked her life to invite me to a dinner date. That, that's not it. There's more. There's more. Oh, she knows he knows that. He knows, she knows, she knows, he knows that, right? They all know. There's a whole lot more to this story. And he's all in. So with the preparation of the banquet, the plan is in play. It's happening. It's going. And now, verse 6, we see that the king is hooked. The mystery, the intrigue, the, the, the interest of what is going on, it's just absolutely irresistible. And we find out that the man couldn't even sleep that night. You know, my sweet little wife did this to me when I first met her. She might have been dating somebody, but that's a whole other story. And, and so she'd, <laughs> she'd look at me and she goes, you know, I think you should, you should talk to some other girl. <laughs> you know, these big brown eyes looking at me and I, I'm like, ah. What you, I couldn't hear a word she was saying. I was just lost, right? And, 
And she, you know, I said, good night. And she said, good night. Talk to somebody else. Yeah, don't forget it. I was over, man. It was done. She had me. She knew it, too. Oh, it was fun. Because it hadn't worked out the way I wanted it to work out. <laughs> That's why it was kind of fun. But that, I, I, there's something about that, isn't there? We've got to be honest here, right? Well, Esther, she's no dummy. She, she gets it. And it became part of the plan. And the king, he is all in. The plan is working. He immediately calls this Haman. They have this dinner and okay tomorrow will be the day and then we we see Haman leaving this is the last time we're going to see Haman skipping and happy this guy's uh he's the perfect picture here at the end of this chapter of Proverbs 16 18 finish it for me pride goes before what destruction pride before destruction this man was so full of himself, so full of ego, so full of his own importance and that he, could, he couldn't stand being disrespected by this guy at the gate. Goodness, how in the world could, could he not stand up and, mm, wow, in my presence, he became furious. One of the things that taking, you know, personal inventory for ourselves is that the size of a person oftentimes can be seen by the size of that which irritates them. The size of a person can oftentimes be seen by the size of that which irritates them. Really? That's bugging you? That sets you off? Really? The other day we were driving to a dinner with some friends, going down 69, and, and uh, all of a sudden we had these cars next to us, and, and, and one of them's you know, going to get in in front of this, this guy no matter what, and pulls right in front of him, and, and he wasn't going to let her in, so he had sped up, and, and it's just this crazy scene, and, and you know, she tells him that he's number one, and they, they just keep going, you know, and, it, and they get faster and faster, and, and it's like, whoa, it's on now, right? And they're going, and he floors it around. I don't know how fast they were going. Now, just for the record, we were not keeping up with them. Somebody first hour accused us of this, but no, we weren't. We just watched and stayed far away. These people had lost their minds, right? And he, and he comes, getting in front of her and puts on his brakes and all, and all these cars all over. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Somebody was going to get in front of you and you're going to die or risk dying for that? How small, how little, who cares? Who cares? You get there first. Wow. It's not a thing. But they literally put their own lives and the lives of others in jeopardy because you're not getting in front of me. This is Haman. You aren't, you aren't going to disrespect me. Don't you know who I am? So he proceeds to go home. And he, 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 he puts out one of these, you know, hysterical Facebook pages. <laughs> 
Hey, do you know me? Look at me. Hey, this is what I do. Hey, hey, hey. And he looks at his wife. Hey, do you know how many kids I have? And she's like, um, yeah, yeah, I got that. Yep. There's like 10 of them. I know. I was there, right? And, and, and he's just going on and on and on. Hey, and then look at this. And then, hey, look at this. Look what I got. Look at this. I'm, I'm all this. And, but all oh, this is nothing as I see that Mordecai guy over there. He's not bowing to me. The little man with a very big ego and a pride that was marching him right into destruction. And so often in life, we find ourselves crashing and burning and we're thinking, what in the world just happened? And if we can take those steps back, sometimes we will see there was a little bit of ego involved. There was a little pride that got in the way. And it caused an incredible problem. Pride goes before destruction. A couple of quotes I came across. Maybe you'll find these memorable. Ego is like a bubble. The bigger it gets, the more fragile it becomes. Pride and discontentedness sleep in the same bed. That place of, I, 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 I want this, I need this, I want this, and give me that, give me this, and I don't have that, and I want to have that. I want everybody to bow to me. Why don't I have everybody bowing to me? I'm a big deal. Doesn't he know who I am? Hey, I'm the, I'm the only one getting invited to, to the queen's banquets and just me and the king. Man, everybody needs to know that I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I'm the big deal. And there's this constant and anything that is, you know, in the, in the pridefulness of life, we never reach contentment. We never reach that place where it's, hey, it's all good. Really, I don't need that stuff. I don't need that experience. I don't need that applause. I don't need any of that. We don't arrive there as a prideful person. We arrive there, we arrive there as a person who has found and established their sense of security in a relationship with their creator. And so the invitation here as we consider Haman and all of his running around chasing his tail is this invitation to look elsewhere to secure our significance as a person and the bible's continuous message is find your security find your significance in a relationship with jesus christ all that all the the wonder and the value and the worth of who you are will not be realized in the temporary accolades of this world that we live in it will not be realized in the size of our bank accounts, the number of people who know us, the number of likes we get on whatever social media platform will not create the security our soul craves because we were made for God and only in a relationship with God are the deepest needs of who we are met. 